In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God's love and mercy in Christ Jesus be with each and every one of you this last Sunday of the church year. A church year many of us aren't exactly weeping to see go. (laughs) And yet, and yet, even though many of you have suffered great hardships this past church year, we cling to that promise of God that he is working all things, all things for the good of those who love him. For the past weeks, we have heard our Lord's teaching on the last times, on the coming judgment. And in a time of great anxiety and uncertainty and worry, this is something our Lord gives us to grasp hold of. He is coming, and he is going to make all things right. This is the grounding and the anchor we have in Christ Jesus. Not only has he been crucified for the forgiveness of our sins, but he's risen. Not only is he risen and alive, but he is coming back. We can count on that. Now, in our Lord's teaching, there is a division, a division that comes at his judgment. We saw it in the wise and the foolish virgins. We saw it in the profitable servants and the unprofitable servant. And today we see it in the sheep and the goats. In other words, there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are those who believe in Christ Jesus, trust him, love him, and serve him, And there are those who don't. The judgment reveals this in finality. It is all revealed when he returns. So does that make the judgment good news or bad news? I asked that to one of the youth in our church. Is that good news or bad news that Christ is returning in judgment? And he very astutely said, that depends on who you are. (laughs) If you are the foolish virgin, the unprofitable servant, the goat, then it is indeed bad news. But that's not us. We are baptized children of God, wise virgins, profitable servants, his sheep. And so for us, it is very good news. That is the title of my homily this morning, a simple homily The judgment is good news. What I would like to do with you is simply walk through this amazing teaching, this amazing sermon of our Lord Jesus, word by word, line by line, and point out a few of the most remarkable things to you. We are in Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, where Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left." 
this first part of Jesus' teaching is the first of two points we want to keep in mind whenever we consider this text. In the first place, the separation between the sheep and the goats takes place before there is any mention whatsoever of their good works or their failure to do good works. In other words, this is a judgment that is based on faith. The sheep on his right hand are those who believe, and the goats on the left are those who have rejected him. That he places the sheep on his right has a beautiful connection with our crucifix and many other crucifixes like it and most depictions of Christ crucified in Christian art. Not always the case, but frequently the case. Our Lord Jesus on the crucifix is depicted with his head turned to the right towards the sheep on his right hand. His death is for them. He knows his own and his own know him. So too, the scriptures don't tell us which side of Jesus' body was pierced by the Roman spear. But most Christian artists, and it's true for ours as well, show his side pierced on his right. Again, because the sheep are there, cleansed by the blood that flows from his pierced side. We are told that he is the Son of Man. The Old Testament prophecy is that the Son of Man would come and bring in the new heavens and the new earth. This is he. And we also see that he is a shepherd, one who separates sheep from goats. Verse 34, we learn a third title. He is also the king. There's three sermons right there. I won't preach them all this morning. The son of man, the good shepherd, and the true king. Then the king, Jesus says, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here is a sentence from our Lord that is almost immeasurably deep. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. What does it mean to be blessed by our Lord's Father? Do you remember when earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Blessed are you, for my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Those who are blessed by the Father of our Lord are those whom the Father has brought to faith. And this invitation upon the great judgment when Christ shows up in all his glory with innumerable angels, with all the nations of the earth gathered, with the sheep and the goats separated, he then says to us, come you who are blessed by my Father. 
What's the next word he says? Inherit. Inherit. In order to inherit, you have to be a son. A son. And we are reminded of how God has made us, poor, miserable sinners though we are, into his everlasting sons, baptizing us, granting us his name, adopting us into his family, giving us new birth through water and the Spirit, making us new creatures, new creations, even here and now. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The new heavens and the new earth, this kingdom that God has planned for each one of us, this isn't a plan B. This was the plan all the way from the start. When Adam and Eve fell into sin and Christ came to redeem us, it wasn't a plan B. It wasn't as if God said, oh no, look, they've messed everything up. What's the only way I can save things? No, God's grace and mercy, his riches to us in Christ Jesus, fall or no fall, were planned from the foundation of the world. This was always God's plan and goal. Then Jesus has this remarkable teaching, and probably one of the most misread and misunderstood of his teachings, at least in our midst. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, look what he calls us. He doesn't call us sinners. He doesn't name our sins. He simply calls us the righteous. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now this is often taken to mean that Christ is simply locating himself amongst the poor, amongst the sick, amongst the imprisoned, and thus we are called to minister to these as if ministering to him. But this kind of reading would be novel and unique in all the scriptures. It's true enough we are called to do good to all people, even to our enemies. But that's not what is in view here. The least of these, my brothers, we are his brothers. Fellow Christians are his brothers. And in the context of Matthew's gospel, probably most specifically what is in mind? Those who bring us the good news. For example, back in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says to those he was sending out to preach his gospel, whoever receives you receives me. In other words, we have this glorious promise. Our Lord Jesus Christ is so intimately with us, he's hidden 
inside our fellow Christians, inside our brothers and sisters in Christ all around us, if we would give thanks to him, if we would love him, if we would be good to him, we need only turn to our brothers and sisters in Christ around us. And in being good to them, we are being good to him. It transforms everything. In verse 41, he then turns to those who are on his left, to those who he formerly called goats. Depart from me, he says, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Put one finger on this, verse 41, and put your other finger on verse 34 and see how they are parallel. He says, depart from me, you cursed, in verse 41. In verse 34, he says, come, you who are blessed. Then look to those who are blessed, he says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To the cursed, he says, depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The kingdom of God was prepared for all people from the foundation of the world. God doesn't intend a single person to go into eternal fire. It wasn't prepared for people. As Jesus says, it was prepared only for the devil and his angels. Those who hate and despise Christ have no other choice but to depart and flee away from him into the only other place there is, this place prepared for the devil and his angels. Our Lord goes on. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? We need not read too much into this line. They simply did not recognize Jesus in those whom Jesus sent, in those whom they rejected and persecuted. Prophets, apostles, pastors, Christians, they did not recognize Jesus. Then he, the king, will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And in finality, Jesus says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And here from our Lord's lips, we receive a necessary correction, especially because it apparently is all the rage in certain spin-offs from evangelicalism and also even in Eastern Orthodoxy today, this idea that in the end, everybody gets saved. Uh, it's universalism. And of course, if that's true, then our Lord's words here aren't true. Because as sure as there is an eternal life, there is also an eternal punishment. In these words, eternal life, we are promised so many things. We are promised that we will never fall away. We are promised that we will never again experience the curse, sin, 
suffering, death. We will never again face temptation that overcomes us. We will never again fall into the chaos and darkness in which we have lived these short and not that significant lives. What do we take away from this text? Is the judgment good news or not? Again, it depends on who you are. We should note that of those on his right hand, of his sheep, he mentions not a single sin. Those on his left hand, the goats, he mentions not a single one of their good works. It is exactly as St. Paul preaches in Romans 8, there is indeed no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul goes on, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. As we hear from our Lord's own lips, He is the Son of Man. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the Righteous King. Perhaps the deepest problem we have lies in not realizing just how good He is and just how capable He is of truly working all things for our good, for the good of those who love Him. As the Scriptures and the Lutheran Confessions teach, not only does He shower us with all manner of daily blessings, with all manner of mercies made new each morning, He also predetermines and foreordains with fatherly love and care and compassion exactly what hardships we will endure and what things we will suffer in order that we may be conformed into the image of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may truly be His children and possess within, our, within ourselves not only a heart that is similar to His, but a heart that is one with His. And to have this heart within us both now and for all eternity. What is it that we live for? What is it that we're living for? We should and we do live for that promised day when our Savior will say to each one of us, to all of us together, come you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let the last Sunday of the church here and the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ remind us the judgment 
is certain. The judgment is good news. And that because our judge is very, very good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.